Good morning, Stonebridge. My name's Chris. I'm an elder here. I want to share with you guys uh, some of the significance of what today is. You see, last year on this Sunday, it was the first of Stone, Stonebridge's COVID season, if you will. The first Sunday we were closed. It was a time of fear, a time of unknown. And today is the one-year anniversary of that. And praise God, we are blessed to be able to come together today and worship him. And I just want us to just celebrate that. I've been blessed by my God to be where I am today, more so than what I deserve. I'm still a Cornhusker fan in spite of many people's attempts to sway me. And I have many flaws besides that, truthfully. You see, some of you may have heard me share a little bit a couple of months ago about my past. I am still a work in progress. The last time that I spoke with you, I shared some truths, uh, truths about forgiveness and about the power of prayer and the work that God has done in my life and still continues to do in my life. I've had men that have come around me that are here today uh, supporting me in this first endeavor I have to just uh, uh, provide a, a message to you all. And I'm, I'm blessed to have them here. They've walked through prayerfully with me in my life. The history that I'd had with being raised up in a single parent family and dealing with not having spent time with my father for many, many, many years. And just the prayerful intercession that was going on, um, not even knowing that God was doing work in his heart while we prayed. The opportunity to have the ability to tell him that I forgave him for not being a part of my life and having somebody with me to walk through me in that time with them. I'm blessed to have a family around me that is supportive and loving and men around me. And I just want to encourage you, just as an aside, if you're not involved in a men's group, I, I would strongly encourage you to do that. We need people to walk beside us, especially when we are living life. I shared parts about my life at that time that I was thankful that my dad missed. I had this hole in my heart, and I was trying to fill it Fill it with alcohol, drug use. I had self-loathing, did not like myself at all. And this is all products of a young man who was without an earthly father in his life. I've had a lot of sin in my past. I'm going to sin every day. I'm going to sin in the future. But there are truths that we're going to unpack today that I rest in and that I know. I know that when I'm going through these trials in life, I can find grace in God that no matter where I'm at, that I cannot be separated from the love of my Heavenly Father. I just want to pray over this message. God, just uh, thank you for this wonderful day that we could come together, God. We pray that uh, uh, hearts will be softened and 
that I'm just a conduit for you, God, that I'm just unpacking this and just delivering a message that is of you. And I, I just pray that you will bless it and uh, just let me be an instrument of your will, God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want to read the passage that we're going over today. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword as it is written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. This passage speaks for itself. I mean, the sermon's done. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Obviously there, there's a lot more that we're going to go through, but I am just absolutely humbled to be able to walk through this passage with you all. So I'm going to tone it back a little bit. <laughs> uh, first of all, I love movies, and this was something that was kind of put in my heart at 5 a.m. one day when I was preparing for this, so... I'll ask for your grace on this. Um, how many of you know Quentin Tarantino? So, okay, a, a handful, that's good. So he's one of my favorite directors. So he's very interesting in the respect of how he directs his movies. His movies, they are not like a standard plot line that they follow. They follow this non-linear plot line where you go, forward towards the end, and then maybe you'll go back to the start, and somewhere in the middle, back and forth. And so the wonderful thing about that is it still creates this kind of crescendo effect as Quentin Tarantino directs these movies, movies like Pulp Fiction or other movies like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And in addition to that, there are several other aspects that I just found awesome similarities to. Uh, Quentin Tarantino will usually play a role in these movies too. Sometimes it's hard to find, sometimes it's a major character, but Paul in Romans, he oftentimes refers to himself within these passages too. So in looking at the similarities, that was striking to me. And then additionally, there is this kind of spiritual growth that goes through uh, some of these major characters. So I think of like Samuel L. Jackson with Pulp Fiction. Uh, he starts out uh, in the movie as this hitman, and he's doing awful things, killing people. And he goes through this spiritual growth where he's found that that's not God's will for him. And he hangs up his 
I guess, guns or whatever you want to call them. And not only that, uh, actually works to help save somebody else too. Much to me, like Paul, how Paul in his story had had his road to Damascus moment after helping to lead to the demise of many different Christians. And then in the end is working to save the lost in the end. So I guess um, in common grace, maybe uh, we can find some of the beauty in that. Uh, I see that uh, at any rate. Uh, I also just want to prepare you that this is going to be kind of like a Quentin Tarantino kind of talk uh, about this passage. So uh, what I'm going to start with is in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I'm going to skip the first part of that verse right out of the gate because there's a lot more to it, I think. And I want to just uh, uh, sit back on this a little bit. Paul asks several rhetorical questions, but he just starts with this mic drop moment, this mic drop moment. If God is for us, who can be against us? And to me, that is a powerful statement. He, he gives uh, this talk leading up uh, to this verse in chapter 8, this crescendo, if you will. And there's this tension between our godly spirit and our worldly body. And there were this house divided. And the pain that comes about from suffering and comes about from our sinful nature that cannot coexist with the spirit that is justified and glorified. We cannot have shalom. We cannot have peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. He's been building up this whole crescendo in the book of Romans and especially in chapter 8. And then he goes through this step by step, living in the spirit versus living in the flesh. The tension of the Holy Spirit versus our sinful nature. The contrast when he's presenting suffering that we have in the world right now versus the future glory that we have ahead of us. And that crescendo to this starts back in Romans 8.30 before this passage. Paul then proclaims we are justified and we are glorified, leading through all these truths earlier in chapter 8 and really through the book of Romans. They set up this who can be against us comment. It's kind of a open your mind, open your heart, pay attention, buckle up, get ready, because the rest of this we're going to go through a series of questions where Paul systemically answers that. If you're sleep-deprived, the cliff note version of this message is this. No one, no thing, no thought, no thing of the world or spiritual realm can be against us when God is for us. That is a mic drop statement. Verse 32. What is God's love? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not with all things give us, or excuse me, with, with him give graciously all things to us? So many of us are parents. Uh, I myself am blessed to have four beautiful children. And the whole process is just a gift from God. I mean, from the moment that you are able to actually conceive, some people have such a challenge even just getting to that point where they're pregnant. 
They wait years. And, and then you have this period of time, this waiting, this deliberateness, this nine-month time that you're just building in anticipation, looking forward to this treasure that, that God is going to give you. And then the day comes, the baby's born, and you hear, you hear that first cry. And you see that baby breathing. And you know that that is a miracle of God and a blessing that you've received. And then you take that baby home, this beautiful little peanut that fits in your hands. And then it starts getting real. Uh, <laughs> you, you, have this, you have this creature that all it does is cry, sleep, poop, eat, and make these vile diapers that you could not imagine coming out of humanity, but they do. Um, but yet, you treasure that. Sacrificially, you love that child. You want to give that child. That child is the better part of you. It has almost, at least in my, in my life, a redemptive quality to be able to say, I am going to pour myself into my children. I want them to have more than what I had to, to do better than what I have done with my life. And I just want to play that role in their lives. And in our, our worldly mind, we think, this is wonderful. This is great. But what if we were to try and look at it from God's perspective? Because in verse 32, this itself is not a prosperity gospel statement. This is talking about the sacrifice that God gave for us. Liken it to me raising Claire, my oldest daughter, for years, being with her for years, pouring my life into her for years, and then knowing that she had to die for her other three sisters so that they may live because they need to have atonement for the sin in their lives. I'll tell you, I just, I cannot fathom what kind of love that would take from our God. We're reminded back in Genesis 22 to look at it another way with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah both having faith when Abraham takes Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and he binds him to the altar. I can't imagine how much dread uh, how much anguish. Sarah and Abraham, they waited 90 years to have this child, and yet they were acting in faith towards their God. And God provided a ram. And the beautiful allusion to uh, the provision of a lamb is to the lamb of God being provided for us in that story. But it does not just stop there. You see, with Abraham and Sarah, that was blood atonement for sins at that time. That was covering of those sins at that time in their lineage. And yet, the Lamb of God was this beautiful, beautiful grace given to us. All of us, Jew, Gentile, whomever, no matter what kind of a sinner we were or what kind of 
ethnicity or lineage that we had. And that, to me, is beautiful love. The passage then moves on, and it kind of changes tones. In 33 and 34, it takes almost like a courtroom kind of tone. In 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So why? Why does Paul use the words charge? Why does he use the word condemn? Why doesn't he use the word accuse instead of charge? Well, it is the right term to say charge. One definition of the word charge is defined by a Stanford uh, criminal justice professor. He says, in contrasting it to accuse, to accuse is to say, uh, to say you believe that someone did something wrong. To charge is to formally do so with the weight of the law behind you and the force the person to answer the charge in court. The first only requires just a belief in the ability to speak and write. The second, however, it requires probable cause, credible evidence, and also legal authority. These are terms that we're familiar with, and yet they are so much weightier. Probable cause is simple enough. I mean, we're all human. We just need to go back to Genesis 3 and the fall of man. Probable cause has been in us, is in us, will be in us until we are sanctified. Credible evidence, however, guess what? It's there too. We may not outwardly show it, but it is there, and God knows. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. But what about legal authority? Well, I did a quick Google search on uh, God's uh, right to have uh, the ability to, just, to judge us. And um, I actually, I found 78 passages that I'm going to share with you guys. Um, re reality, uh, just a couple here. So Genesis uh, 18, 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all earth do what is just. And it goes to Revelation 20, 11, 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and on him was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Y'all, I just want to have you just rest in this truth. There is no mention of Satan, his minions, any human being having an opportunity to righteously judge us. 
there is no ability of man, believer, family member, Facebook acquaintance, or even ourselves to righteously judge us. The authority to judge us is only given to the one that is holy, and that is God. Amen. Condemn. So, Paul clearly lays out God's right to condemn. We look back in chapter 3 of Romans. If Romans were to stop at chapter 3, I'm going to tell you guys, it would be just a, a dismal future for us. You see, in chapter 3, uh, 3 verse 20, uh, Paul has been laying out this uh, whole concept that whether you're Jew or Gentile, that you're all sinners because of the law. And he caps that in 320 when he adds, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And yet with a logical, systematic approach to dispelling Jewish favorism, legalism, and the penalty of violating sin, Paul starts to lay this groundwork for hope in the next passage that I'm going to share with you. In 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but here's the hope. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus is our only hope. He is the only one who gives us a promise of the future. He is going to treat us with a great fatherly love through God that many of us may not have had on this earth. There, there, there. All you have to see for that comfort is sliding back up to Romans 8.30. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has also glorified. What he's trying to do is tie this up into a bow for us, into the fact that we are justified. We really need to talk about justice from the concept of sin, which is the breaking of the law, the judgment, which is the result of that sin that occurs and the product of that sin. Paul lays out this penalty of sin, yet we are sucked into these anti-fruits of the Spirit in our current climate and social culture. Our world view wants us to look at a lens, especially from social media with little TikToks and Facebook memes and, and Twitter 140 however many character tweets you can do. And what does this lend? What does this produce? It produces what I call anti-fruits of the Spirit. It produces anger. It produces resentment. It produces sadness. And not only do we have to contend with that, we have to contrast that. We have a Christ who has died for our sins. Not only did he die on the cross for us, he rose for us. He is actively interceding for us. He is holy. He is without sin. He is our only hope. And he is not, I repeat, not some long brown-haired California, you know, majestic-haired, you know, Western culture idea of a Christ, a Savior. He is a conqueror. He has conquered death. He has suffered, bore the weight of our sins, taken it for us, and because of that, 
We have grace. He lived through this, abandoned, alone from God. And what comes of this? We have the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have love. We have self-control, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. When we look at our culture today, our world today, especially this past year, we have seen pain. We have seen a lack of a historical context. When we get to the next few verses here, we're reminded not to see the me, not to see the I. We're reminded to keep the focus is not on ourselves, but on God, on the eternal. It is our false sense of persecution, either from liberals, conservatives, mask wearers, non-mask wearers, vaccinators, non-vaccinators, BLM, Trumpy, you name it. In all of this, when we apply what Paul is telling us, he's assuring us, comforting us. We can see him completely give us this vision of us being completely encapsulated, completely insulated, even though we're suffering, even though all creation has been groaning through this time, even though we are dealing with hurts. Who shall separate us from the love of God? In verse 35, shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't think of a single thing that is excluded from that list. I want to remind you again, we have no idea as a church what persecution is like, even in the era of COVID. These short few years after Paul wrote this letter, he was publicly executed. As a matter of fact, several of the disciples were publicly slain. Christians were tortured. They were lit like candles in the street. They were excluded from an economy, pushed away, pushed aside. One commentator likened it to Matt Chandler, John Piper, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, being taken to Times Square and publicly executed and put on NBC. I mean, truly, we can agree that the persecution that we face today in our country, when we're worried about maybe not getting skim milk in our latte versus whole milk, pales in comparison to what the early church went through. And yet, and yet, the early church grew. They grew through one thing, through faith in a future that no matter how oppressed they were, that no matter how excluded they were from economies in the present, they had hope in the future. I want to share with you guys, uh, there was uh, some statistics, and there's, there is a lot of variance as to how correct some of the data is out there. But uh, one thing that all of the commentators can agree on is that, number one, this was accomplished without brick-and-mortar churches. It was accomplished through faithful heart service towards others. 
Christian and non-Christian. There was just this eye on the eternal. And though the data uh, to calculate the figures are nearly non-existent of the growth of the early church, uh, Keith Hopkins, who has uh, given his crude and tentative estimates for the Christian population in the third century, estimates the Christian community grew from a population of 1.1 million people in 250 A.D., to a population of 6 million by 300 AD, which was about 10% of the Roman Empire. And shortly after that, Christians were allowed to publicly profess their Christianity and not be persecuted. But it took 600 years going from the Church of Antioch, having about 120 followers for the Church of Jerusalem, the temple was lost, there was no synagogue, and yet they thrived. So I want to go back to the start of this passage. In verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? A lot of commentators say Paul phrases that more as a why. Why do we say these things? But I think, I think there may be a little bit more to it. Maybe another way to look at it is to say, what am I going to say to these things? What are we going to say to these truths? Whether we are living in our lives caught up in just immense pressure, in hurt, in sin, whether we've had spiritual conspirators against us, maybe you've had a dad missing in your life that's created this hole in your heart. Maybe, like me, you've tried using drugs or alcohol to cover that. Maybe, like me, you've had anger come out of that. Maybe, like me, you've experienced tribalism in the past year so strongly that it impacts your relationships with people. Maybe, like me, you have pride. Maybe you need to seek prayer to God. Maybe it's counseling. But please, I would implore you, just rest in these truths. Seek it out. There's nothing wrong with leaning on a brother. There is nothing wrong with going to seek counseling. There's nothing wrong with pouring yourself into the Word. We need to cling to these facts that through God's love for us, we are not just justified, but we are glorified. We are going to receive a promise of a life everlasting. And it's not a prosperity gospel. Nowhere in this passage does it say, you know what, you accept Christ in your heart and your life's going to 100% be easier in this world. It's quite the opposite, really. And yet, there's a promise of an eternity. There's so much more for us and so much peace that we can find if we just lay it down. The work has been done. Stop getting in your way. Rest in that freedom that Paul is speaking about. Lastly, in 32, he says, Who did not spare his own son gave him up for who? Good people that live a good life, that go to church every Sunday, that raise their hands when they're worshiping? No. 
he did it for everyone. We're talking about heaven. We are talking about something that we, in our, our own worldly lens, cannot visualize. We can't, we can't even imagine how amazing that will be. And when we get to heaven, we're going to look around and we're going to say, you know what? I expected him to be there. I expected him to be there. I knew it. And we're going to look around and we're going to say, how'd you let him in? I can't believe that he made it. <laughs> and, and yet, the sad thing is, there are going to be people that aren't there. And it's up to us to not waste these precious moments that we have on this earth to share some of these gospel truths with these people. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it is a friend of yours that you've just not had the gumption to go talk to about this. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. And you just need to just seize these opportunities and just be bold. Don't let this time slip by. Keep our focus on the eternal. I'd like to close in prayer. Dear God, we just thank you for this beautiful gift that, that, that Paul has shared with us, God. I just, want, uh, I just want us as a church just to, I know we have COVID restrictions, just maybe just reach out hands to your left and your right. And, and I just want us to pray over the person next to us or pray over the open chair, if you have an open chair next to you, for that person that, that we want to uh, be here with us, God. God, uh, we, just, we just pray for each other. We pray for people that are not here. We pray that, that you will help us to be bold in these people's lives that aren't here, God, that we will reach out to them, that we will be open to just sharing this beautiful gospel truth, God. God, we, we just want to rest in the fact that we are loved by you, that we have faith in a life everlasting. Help us to just continue to experience these fruits of the Spirit, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.